Everyone needs a pastor. A visit to the pastor's study brings biblically faithful pastoral ministry to you and pastoral ministry from those with proven experience in Christian service. Our time together will be lively, sometimes controversial, always useful, and never dull. Welcome to the study of Pastor Bill Shishko. And this is Pastor Bill Shishko here with you. It's great to have you with us for another visit to the pastor's study. Apologetics is the formal word for making a defense of something or to someone. We use it as a convenient term for defending the Christian faith. It's used that way in the Bible's book of 1 Peter in chapter 3 and verse 15, in your hearts, which means in your inmost being, including your mind, honor Christ the Lord as holy, which is a very, very strong expression in every area of your life, Jesus Christ is to be honored as Lord, including your thought life and the way you speak. And then the biblical text says, always being ready to make a defense. The Greek text uses the word for apologetics here. Christians must always be ready to defend the Christian faith before others, to do apologetics with anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And let's never forget those last few words. They tell us the attitude that we are to have as we defend the faith before those who, well, they can be very hostile to us. Gentleness with a humble spirit and always with courtesy, even toward those who may hate everything we are and stand for. The word means self-controlled under pressure and respect. The word is literally fear. Hmm. Defend the faith out of a proper fear of God, reverence for God, and, and with respect for the fact that even in our dealings with ardent opponents of Christianity, we are speaking to people who are made in the image of God. So be respectful. Now, if you want to picture what this looks like in practice, read the Apostle Paul's defense, uh, his apologetic, to Greek philosophers in the first century city of Athens, and you will find that in the Bible's book of Acts, chapter 17, beginning at verse 16. It is a very rich portion of scripture, excellent for your own personal or group Bible study. Again, that's Acts chapter 17 and verse 16 to the end of that chapter. Now, when we use the word apologetics, in no way are we speaking about being apologetic for the Christian faith. You don't need to be apologetic about the truths of the Word of God. And in fact, we don't even need to actually defend these truths. God, I think, has the power to defend himself and his Word. But in doing apologetics, we listen carefully to the questions and the objections that come from those who don't believe the Christian faith. At least they don't believe it yet. And even from those who claim they have major objections to Christianity, and having listened carefully with gentleness and respect in the same spirit, we seek to answer those questions and objections. And that is apologetics. But how do you do apologetics. What's the right way to defend the Christian faith? Well, one way is to gather all the information you need to answer the questions and the criticisms that have come to you, and then, well, you respond with this information, you call critics to believe in Christ. That's pretty simple. But while that 
simple and very common method seems like the natural thing to do, and no doubt God has used it so that people come to their senses and believe the gospel. Well, there's lots of problems with doing apologetics that way. I learned this from experience early on in my own Christian life. See, it assumes that people are neutral as they consider the evidence before them, when in fact, those in a state of unbelief actively suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The Apostle Paul says that in the Bible book of Romans, chapter 1. Their minds are like pressure cookers that are sealed, keeping the ingredients of the faith, of the Christian faith, inside. Even though there's a lot of steam created inside as they grapple with the truths of the Word of God, truths they know in their inmost beings they cannot avoid, and that's very important. Another problem with that uh, very simple, common method is it only deals with people's heads, and it rarely goes to their hearts. And the heart of the true Christian faith really is a matter of the heart. <laughs> Another problem is that it fails to get to the underlying faith commitments that all people have, whether or not they are Christians. And therefore, this method of doing apologetics never really gets down to why people think the way they do and feel the way they do about everything. And until those things are exposed and shown to be deficient, it will be difficult, humanly speaking, to get a person to think seriously about your defense, your apologetic. Well, a far better and a far more biblical way to defend the Christian faith, to do apologetics, is to listen carefully to the concerns or problems expressed to us by those with whom we're speaking. Remember, gentleness and respect. Then, usually by asking questions, we expose the underlying beliefs, actually the faith commitments that our friends have. Now, whatever these are, whether it's a faith commitment that we can only believe what we can see, hear, taste, smell, or feel, or whether it's a faith commitment that all ideas are relative, or whether it's a faith commitment that our only ethic is love, we show that these are faith commitments that have their origin in the creature, not in the creator. And they are absolutely insufficient to explain reality. In fact, there's no real way to even justify these faith commitments. I mean, how do we know that we can only believe what we can see, hear, taste, smell, or feel? How do we know that all ideas are relative? And doesn't that very belief that all ideas are relative, doesn't that very belief negate the belief itself? <laughs> Think about that for a moment. And how does a person even define love by some absolute standard? And then, remembering that you're set apart, Christ as Lord in your heart and in all of your thinking, you ask the person, remember gentleness and respect, you ask the person to think about things on the foundation of your faith commitments. Explain the gospel. Jesus Christ, the God-man, was born into this world. He lived a perfect life, and he died a sacrifice to pay the punishment for the sins of his people. He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, where he now reigns as king. 
and one day he'll return to judge all of humankind. Now, these are sure truths of history. And when you understand what those truths mean, you realize they change literally everything. The call of God is that we repent of our various forms of worship of the creature, believe in the God who's revealed himself in human history and in our own beings and in the Bible and supremely in Jesus Christ and give ourselves to Jesus Christ the King in the surrender of true faith. Now that, <laughs> that's, that's a lot. See, it's easy to give you the big picture of doing apologetics, but there is a lot more to it when we deal with real down-on-the-ground questions that come from our culture and from those around us. You see, the phrase you hear over and over again in this program, and the phrase is very true, is that everyone needs a pastor. And in the field of apologetics, as in any other aspect of the Christian life, and remember that every Christian, according to the Apostle Peter, must be ready to do apologetics. Everyone needs a pastor. <laughs> And as much as we appreciate those teachers who work in the very challenging philosophical departments of apologetics, well, most of us need a wise and experienced pastor who can help us deal with the common objections to and the questions about Christianity that we get every day. The department of theology that this is is what I call pastoral apologetics. It is one that is greatly needed in our day it's both practical and mentally stimulating, and I would add, in not a few cases, it's a lot of fun. We've had an amazing response to Pastor Paul Vigiano's first program on pastoral apologetics here on A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Listeners appreciated the emphasis on how we're to deal with those who oppose the Christian faith, and they also appreciated the specific guidance that Pastor Paul gave to help with the kinds of issues that we face every day. In fact, um, I was able to use a number of his points that very day in an extended family gathering. Pastor Paul Vigiano, who pastors Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Torrance, California, and who has his master's degree in apologetics, is our guest again today on our weekly visit to the pastor's study. For round two, we'll be getting into a number of challenges to the Christian faith that you receive on a regular basis, or at least you hear about them. And Pastor Paul will help you think biblically about the issues and also think biblically about how to answer and how you can be ready to defend the faith that is to do apologetics before a watching and a listening world. Now remember, this program invites and it encourages you to call in with your questions. And I guarantee you, you will have questions today and with any of the things that you have today related to the subject of Christian apologetics. This is your way of visiting the pastor's study by way of telephone or text. Our live call in number 631-955-5400-631-955-5400. And you can text your questions at the special number to Pastor Bill 516 Three six seven zero three nine one. Again, that number for your text questions only to Pastor Bill five one six three six seven zero three nine one. All I'm going to ask is that you call soon, either text now or call soon, because many of you call at the very end of the program when we're out of time, and we do want your questions. Anyway, for now, Pastor Paul Vigiano from California, welcome to a visit to the Pastor's Study. 
Thank you, Pastor Bill. Good to be here. Hey, Pastor Paul. It's great to have you with us. I'm, uh, I'm going to do something I don't like to do, and I hope you won't mind me doing it, but I'm going to, as a fellow pastor, I want to play the devil's advocate with you today. Is that okay? Well, that's fine with me. Okay. So this is, this is New York versus California, right? <laughs> okay. Pastor Paul, um, isn't it really arrogant to think that you're right when there are so many other religions full of loving and giving and faithful people. Come on. Well, first of all, it is possible to, to be arrogant and right at the same time, and I really appreciated uh, your opening because I think it's so critical when we engage in apologetics to recognize what you were talking about, and that is whoever you're speaking with, even if they uh, come off hostile, you need to, we need to immediately and prayerfully seek to, to, for lack of a better term, fall in love with those people. And um, that, that, needs, that spirit needs to uh, be at the foreground of the conversation. There should never be this sense in their minds that if for some reason you um, prevail in the conversation and they actually come to faith, that when they walk into your church, they're going to have to eat crow because you were able to overcome them in an arrogant fashion. And they, how awful would that be? Uh, so there does need to be this effort at recognizing that when we speak about the things of God, we're speaking about something much greater than ourselves. The words need to come out in a sense of humility, and arrogance is, uh, is certainly something we would need to repent of. That being said, what people seem to fail to recognize is that the moment you have any opinion, anybody has any opinion about anything, it necessarily and logically and immediately follows that they think that everybody on earth who disagrees with their opinion is wrong. So it's not unique to the Christian faith for them to think that they're right Jesus Christ was um, not unclear in making what I have called the most closed-minded statement in the history of the world when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And so I think it sounds um, arrogant because you're putting forth very clearly and openly this idea that there is only one name under heaven by which man can be saved, Jesus Christ. But what people maybe fail to realize is that as soon as they have any opinion at all, whether it's political, religious, ethical, no matter what it is, you are saying that in that opinion, everybody who disagrees with you is wrong. So it's not a, it's not a uniquely Christian problem to think that you're right and everybody else is wrong. Everybody has that. Otherwise, there's no dialogue, there's no discussion, and uh, there's no recognition that there's anything true at all. So what what makes you so narrow-minded that you believe that Jesus Christ is not a way, a truth, and a life? Why, why do you believe he's the only way to God? Well, one of the reasons that I hold that position is because that's what Jesus said. And it would be the epitome of hubris for me to correct Jesus. For me to say, well, you know, Jesus, you are making these very unique and uh, narrow-minded statements about 
the access to God. There's one mediator between man and God, Jesus Christ. But I need to correct you. I need to be the one who makes sure that you do not make statements that really are kind of beyond your pale, and you're, you're going a little above and beyond yourself. And so that would be, to me, the height of arrogance, to, to think I could correct the Word of God, to correct Jesus himself. And yet, again, the same thing applies, that, that if something is true, the, the laws of logic dictate that A cannot be A and not A at the same time in the same way. And so if, there's a, if there is something that is true, something else that is in conflict with that truth simply cannot also be true. So logic dictates. I mean, people are very fond in this ecumenical society in which we live to say, well, that's true for you and this is true for me. And it's just kind of a way to, to put fog in the air. But nobody really believes that in a practical sense. If, if I were to steal your wallet and you said, well, that's wrong, you shouldn't take my wallet. And I said, well, maybe that's ethical for you, but that's not ethical for me. Everybody would know I'm just kind of throwing smoke. It's, it's all smoke and mirrors. And so that's something that is said in a philosophy class, but it's not something that anybody actually lives by. Yeah, but why don't, why, I mean, it sounds when you just hear Jesus saying this, this is a pretty arrogant guy um, claiming to be God. Why do you believe him? Well, the reason I believe him is because by the grace of God, he's opened my eyes to quit suppressing what is patently obvious. As you said in your, your opening, that men naturally suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The, that little uh, boiler that you were talking about, or think about holding a basketball under water. You know, you, it's this continual suppression. And so, so the reason why I would believe it, as opposed to maybe somebody else, is not something found in myself. It's only by the grace of God that He's kind of opened my eyes and ceased the natural rebellion that I that I have. Yet, if we're going to talk in more kind of logical terms, you know, it should be believed because it's true. It is believed because of the grace of God. Now, let me just deal with the first part of that. It should be believed because it's true. You know, people like to get lost in a crowd, uh, you know, in terms of religion. They like to say, well, there are so many religions, there's so many philosophies, there's so many ways to approach things. And so... You make that statement, now you feel you're standing in a crowd of a 1,000 people or 10,000 people. My atheist friends are very fond of saying, you know, you, you just believe in one less God than I do. You know, there's 10,000 gods out there, and I don't believe in any of them, and you don't believe in any of them except for one, so we're right next to each other. But that's like saying there are 10,000 possible wrong answers to a math question. Therefore, there is no right answer to the math question. Well, that just doesn't logically follow. There needs to be something that is true. Now, we can talk about what it is about unique about the Christian faith that makes it true. But what we're talking about right now is, is there something that is true? And everybody thinks there is, although most people can't identify just what it is they think is true. People have ethics, they have convictions, they have goals, they have a way they conduct their lives. But if you were to ask them, what is the guiding principle of your life? And you really did kind of an infinite regress, and you started asking, well, why is that the right way? And why is that the right way to think, and, and so forth? Most people couldn't tell you at the bottom line why it is they think the way they think. And I think your opening monologue was excellent in the fact that that is a great way to do apologetics, where you begin to ask other people, 
Do you think it's wrong to lie, steal, and cheat? Yes. Why do you think it's wrong to lie, steal, and cheat? Or do you do you really struggle? And I had Bill, Pastor Bill, this conversation with a couple. We were my wife and I were invited to a New Year's party, and this couple sat next to us. And the lady works at the, works out at the gym with my wife, where she works out. And they said right away, "We need you guys to know we hate organized religion." And so that kind of set the tone for the evening. And um, I just looked at him and I kind of laughed because I thought, "What a what a bold thing to say." And um, so, but instead of defending myself, I asked them this question. I go, you know, there's things about organized religion I don't like either uh, as well. So you don't like organized religion. Just what is it you don't like? And they said, well, the hypocrisy and the, the, the money grumbling and all this stuff. And I go, well, let me ask you a question. Just what is, what is it that you call upon as a resource to critique organized religion? Like, where do you go to, for your system of ethics? And they said, well, I guess it was the way we were raised. My parents raised me this way. And I, I asked, well, so are your parents always right? And they're like, well, no, they're not always right. And I go, so how do you determine whether or not your parents are right or wrong? And they go, it's probably our culture. I go, well, is your culture always right? And so forth. You understand, you do this, you do this kind of reductio ad absurdum, this infinite regress. And I think that kind of conversation brings people oftentimes to this place where they realize, as my friend Greg Coco likes to say, where their feet are firmly planted in thin air. And that can become kind of horrifying for people, for them to realize, I have no basis whatsoever for my system of ethics or for my goals and, uh, you know, propositions in life. All right, well, look, if Christianity is true, then why are there so many different Christian denominations? I mean, it seems like you Christians who believe in Jesus as the truth, you can't agree on anything. Yeah, well, that's the great Roman Catholic criticism of Protestantism, you know, because my Roman Catholic friends will say, well, you know, there's one true church, and at Rome we just have the one church, and you guys have splintered off, and look at yourselves, you're all over the map. And in a certain sense, they're right. As a matter of fact, when Martin Luther, back in the 16th century, translated the Bible into German, the common language, one of the criticisms that was level against them was that if everybody has a Bible, there's going to be kind of pandemonium. Everybody's going to be coming up with their own religion, and and actually Luther agreed that there's going to be a problem. There's going to be a problem when everybody's got their own Bibles, starts interpreting it for themselves. But his conclusion was that it'll be worth it. Yeah, there's going to be problems, but it'll be worth it. And there were problems, and there were iconoclasts and the Anabaptists, and it was kind of like... Uh, you know, religion on spring break in the 16th century with the craziness that took place. And so we do see this this problem of denominationalism, although it's not always a problem, by the way. Sometimes denominations will break off simply because of geographical reasons, because they want to be able to interact with each other and, and so forth. But the bottom line, Pastor Bill, is that there are denominations because there is this quest that humanity has, Christian humanity to rightly divide the Word of God, and to rightly divide the Word of God means that there will be divisions. The Apostle Paul was not unclear about that. Jesus was not unclear about that. He said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And so in the, in the human quest to get down the road to a full and proper understanding of the Christian faith, there will be splinters. There will be households that are divided. There will be churches that are divided. 
And so even though this thing called denominations, it would be nice if there were just one true church, it's actually a healthy thing. It's healthy that people are willing to say, you've gone off the rails as a church, and now we have to go our own direction, because this is false. Well, my guest today is Pastor Paul Vigiano of Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Torrance, California. And no, I have not, I have not renounced my faith when I'm playing devil's advocate today as we deal with pastoral apologetics, the second part. We're just getting started. Calls are coming in. We'll get to the first call after this message from a voice to the visit to the pastor's study. That great city, New York. Metropolitan New York is the largest city in the United States. And with a population of over 20 million people, Metro New York is one of the largest cities in the world. And what's more, Metro New York is home to people from every nation of the world. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. But churches faithful to historic Reformation Christianity in the Metro New York area are few and far between. The mission fields of Metro New York are America's richest, and most neglected. Reformation Metro New York is an agency by which the Orthodox Presbyterian Church is planting and developing biblically faithful churches and church ministries in the Metro New York area. Through Reformation Metro New York, you can help promote the outreach of this program, a visit to the pastor's study, and other projects designed to further the ongoing reformation of the church. That and church planting are the great passions of Reformation Metro New York. For more information, Information, check out the website at ReformationMetroNY.org where you'll get a personal look at the ministries of the churches, pastors, evangelists, and teachers of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in the area, and you'll learn how you can be a part of our labors. We need your help. Here's the site again, ReformationMetroNY.org. Thanks for your interest and your help. Remember that great city, New York. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. Now back to today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Pastor Bill Shishko here with you today, and my guest is Pastor Paul Vigiano. And Pastor Paul is fielding questions that come from objectors to the Christian faith, or just questions about the Christian faith, calling in with your questions or your objections, 631-955-5400. That's the call-in number, 631-955-5400. Or text the question. It may be easier to get in by way of text, 516-367-0391, 516-367-0391. One Paul to the other. Paul, uh, welcome to a visit to the pastor's study as you speak with Pastor Paul. Hello, Pastor Paul. Thanks for allowing me to call in this afternoon. Good afternoon. What's on your mind, Paul? Oh, so much so. Um, I I do love apologetics, um, the arena, and I, I too, find it quite um, frustrating sometimes. You know, talking to uh, um, those of the Islam faith, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, Catholicism, all them isms, but I try, it's harder for me in apologetics uh, with uh, questions with Christians. But my question to you is um, on predestination. And um, we surely know that he wrote uh, some of us in the Lamb's Book of Life. But on the other hand, and we call it double predestination, or uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul refers to it, double trouble when we head down this beaten path. But... Do you believe that not only has God chosen some, 
his people, Matthew 121, the church, ordained them or predestined them to eternal bliss, eternal life, heaven, and on the other hand has ordained some, like Romans 9 clearly indicates, to eternal hell. Thanks so much, Paul, for that very challenging question <clears throat> for Pastor Paul. Yeah, that's a we'll, we'll you, light question, huh? <laughs> we'll, let, we'll let Paul listen on the radio, keep the line open for other calls. Pastor Paul, go to it. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's obviously a great question and a very deep theological question. It sounds like the caller believes in predestination. What he's talking about, theologians have called either supralapsarianism or infralapsarianism, and lapse referring to the fall. You know, we talk about having a lapse in judgment or what have you. This lapse is the, the uh, you know, the ultimate lapse of Adam and Eve. And so the question is, you know, is, was there kind of an all-fall that everybody fell, and then after the fall, God chose to save some, and the other just others just kind of went in their own direction. Now, great theologians, B.B. Uh, Warfield and what have you, held that position, and I, I certainly don't bemoan that position, but I find it difficult to um, to have that position be consistent with the notion of God's holy decrees, and that God decrees everything that comes to pass. And so I would say in a very ultimate sense, keeping in mind that this doesn't do away with um, with what the Westminster Confession calls free will, at least the free will properly defined, but in an ultimate sense, in the hidden chambers of eternity, God has determined who's going to be in heaven and who's going to be in hell. He is God, and he's the one who makes those ultimate decisions. And I think you can make a biblical argument for that in terms of the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And I realize that's in the middle voice, and that means maybe they could have prepared themselves for destruction, or they were prepared by somebody else for destruction. But the context of that in Romans 9 seems to be the idea that God is the one who's making eternal decisions. A sobering answer. Thank you, Pastor Paul, for that. Um Another question that has come, and this is for, this is a texted question from Dick in North Carolina. Is there really anything new under the sun in objections to the Christian faith? In other words, has there ever been an argument against the faith you've heard that you had never seen or heard before? Great question. <laughs> well, of course, you're not going to disagree when somebody quotes... Uh... Solomon, right? Is there anything <laughs> so, new? Yes, there is something new. Solomon was wrong. Um, yeah. So, uh, and I have to say, for me, there has been. I mean, I've had people, you know, you and I, Pastor Bill, have been doing this for a long time, and so I have to say, when I, when I do debates or when I do Q and A or when I'm on a radio show, I, I seldom hear something now that I haven't heard yeah. before. But there was certainly a first time I heard, you know, certain objections. And I didn't have an immediate answer, and I had to go study and, and find what that answer was. And so I think we need to recognize, especially if we're willing to have the courage and the boldness to engage, that people will ask you things that you don't have an answer to. And when that happens, you don't want to fake it. You don't want to go, you know, you know, off the cuff, come up with an answer. Maybe maybe you'll have a right answer. Maybe that'll, you have the wisdom to figure that out. Sometimes it's best just to say, that's a great question. I don't have an answer right now, but if you give me your email or your number, I'll find the answer, and I'll get back to you. Yeah, and if you continue to do that down the road, you're going to find yourself having answers for people who have questions. Yeah, I found that out in any area, not just in apologetics. It gives you another opportunity to, to minister to people. So 
Yeah, the, our topic today, if you haven't guessed it already, Pastor Paul Vigiano of Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Torrance, California, is our guest. We're dealing with apologetics. I, the only thing I would add is, and I think you'd agree, Pastor Paul, I, the arguments for the so-called new atheism are uh, just the same arguments for the old atheism that I fell captive to for a while back in the 1960s. It's just they have different clothing. Is that At least that's the way I look at it. Is it kind of the way you look at it, too? Yeah. Yeah, well, they also have a bravado now. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, they've, they've really kind of captured a market. You know, we were, I did a debate, I've done a couple of debates with atheists, and we, we probably had the most premier atheist in America in this debate, but we were trying to get, you know, the, 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 they have the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you know, Harrison Hitchens and Dawkins, these guys. And the amount of money it cost to actually get them in, you know, on the stage was beyond. I mean, it was, I think they wanted 50000 for the night or something. And so it's become quite the business and uh, in, in, a, in a respect that it wasn't back when Bertrand Russell was the only guy who was popularly atheistic. And so it has become a business. And so they've, they seize that market. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Do you have the, uh, the information available for any recordings of that, those debates you've had, Pastor Paul? Yeah, if you go to, you know, if you just went on YouTube and, and, uh, typed in Pastor Paul Vigiano and Michael Shermer, who's one of the premier atheists in America, he's the president of the Skeptic Society and, st- and what have you, you'll begin to find those, uh, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't have actual, yeah, sure. uh, but, links on hand you know, here, but you could was... find, you know, just like anything else, you can find them. Yeah, easily. just Paul Vigiano, it's V as in Victor, I double G I A N O, Vigiano. And uh, the, the name of the of the person you debated, Pastor Paul, the last name, spell it. Shermer, S H E R M E R, Michael Shermer, very charming guy. And it was, you know, Pastor Bill, in these debates, and I've done quite a few public debates. One of the goals that I have is because I'll debate Christians as well about, you know, I debated Tommy Ice on premillennialism versus postmillennialism. One of the goals is. To help people understand how to debate in an yeah. amicable way, like to have an ironic spirit, to not immediately um, address the other person as as an enemy. Now, that to me is so critical that we're able to disagree in such a way that people watching don't necessarily feel that there's this unnecessary um, animosity that takes place. We, we need to be able to have these discussions in a in a in a very nice spirit, and I think that takes place. I'd urge you to listen, uh, Pastoral Apologetics Part One uh, that Paul Vigiano did with Jonathan Shishko, and they spent a lot of time on it. It was very very helpful material. We're going to be back. A phone calls coming in. If you'd like to uh, text your question, since the uh, call in line is is occupied now, I prefer you text your question five one six three six seven. 0391 or if you want to wait until the next caller is done and you can get in, call 631-955-5400. That's the live call-in number, 631-955-5400. Real quickly, there's a group of churches that are presenting this program to you on a weekly basis as part of their outreach, Orthodox Presbyterian Churches in East Haddam, Connecticut, in Hamden, Connecticut, 
in Mount Vernon, New York, and here on Long Island in Fresh Meadows, Queens, and then, uh, because Queens really is part of Long Island, and then farther out east in Franklin Square, Syosset and Bohemia, Orthodox Presbyterian churches and those congregations. Please check out the archives of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Just type in Visit the Pastor's Study. That's really all one word. Visit org, and you'll get the whole list of programs there. If you'll just check the archives section, and there I would commend to you in particular Pastoral Apologetics Part 1, or you can get all the programs on sermonaudio.com, an excellent resource for sermons, Bible teaching, broadcasts, and other things. Sermon Audio, that's all one word, dot com. And our site is, as you'd imagine, A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Like us on Facebook, and we'd love it if you'd be a follower of A Visit to the Pastor's Study on Facebook. And if you'd like to email me, that's very easy. Visit Pastor Bill, all one word. Visit Pastor Bill at gmail.com. Would love to be in contact with you as a pastor dealing with you because everyone needs a pastor. Pastor Paul Vigiano, my guest today, and we have Tyler from Mastic Beach with us. Hey, Tyler, what's on your mind today? Oh, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. What you got for Pastor Paul? Oh, it's interesting. Uh, I, I find it fascinating and interesting how you uh, how gentlemen are talking about apologetics. Uh, I recently have been uh, going through the book of Corinthians again, and I, from what I see from... Paul's treatment of man's condition before God is unregenerate. I think I see a lot, especially in the writings of Van Til, that uh, I guess uh, it says like uh, the whole gist of the passage is that those who are, you know, dead in their sins have no interest in spiritual things and how uh, the the spiritual reality of their hearts, uh, you know, manifests itself in the physical world where. Uh, it just shows that uh, you know the the truth of the gospel and you know the uh, truth of God's word is just foolishness to unbelievers. I think. Would you think that would be something that kind of encompasses the basics of biblical apologetics, where trying to show the unbeliever the gospel? Well, that's a good question, Tyler. And perhaps Pastor Paul, when you answer, uh, Tyler mentioned Van Til. Uh, maybe maybe explain who the who that is for all of us. Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate the call. Yeah, the fact that he mentions uh, Cornelius Van Til was a kind of a premier uh, reformed theologian and philosopher who dealt a lot of spent a lot of time dealing with what they I think called epistemology and that's the theory of knowledge and you know what people know and how we know it and what have you. But I think Tyler's uh, question is a really valid question, and I have to say, as an apologist, as somebody who has a degree in apologetics, I view apologetics merely as getting the dust out of the room. I, I kind of view it as the narthex. It's the uh, it's the lobby, because what you really want to do is get to the gospel. And so he's right. And, you know, one of the earlier callers mentioned uh, how he can get frustrated, and it, and it can be frustrated. And, and John Calvin made an interesting comment dealing with the frustrations that we have when we encounter a... Um, an unbelieving world, and that is that you're, you're dealing with people who, according to the scriptures, are blind. And so if you were to invite a blind person into your house, they would be knocking over the furniture, but you wouldn't get frustrated because you recognize that they're blind. And so we need to recognize that when we're interacting with the unbeliever, that there is a blindness uh, that they have that should help us not be frustrated with the fact that their eyes have not yet really been opened to see the truth of Christ. And so there needs to be uh, patience there. 
And I also agree that, you know, it's not really apologetics uh, that saves a person. Uh, again, the, the apologetics, the goal, my goal in apologetics is to get people to that place where the Philippian jailer was, where he says, what, what then must I do to be saved? And so you're, you're, you're talking with somebody, and you are not so much defending your faith. <clears throat> and the Apostle Paul talked about, you know, pulling down strongholds and every lofty thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. What you're doing is you're deconstructing nicely and lovingly, but you're deconstructing their life and worldview, and then getting them to that place where they realize that they have no basis to call anything good or bad, right or wrong, evil or, or altruistic. And then they begin to ask you prayerfully, hopefully they begin to ask you, well, how do you explain yours? How do you explain your concept of right and wrong? Where, where do you come up with these things? And now there's the opportunity to present the gospel. And so he's right. He's right that yeah. you, there, in a certain sense, you're talking to people who are the word of the cross is going to be foolishness to them. They are not spiritually appraised, and they're simply not going to understand these things unless, by the grace of God, something wonderful happens. And that does happen from time to time, and it is a wonderful thing. Uh, Pastor Paul Vigiano, we're dealing with Pastoral Apologetics Part 2. Uh, if you'd like to call in with your question, please do it now, because time's running out. 631-955-5400. And if you'd like to text your question, 516-367-0391. Write it down or put it in your phone or device, 516-367-0391. Okay, Pastor Paul, I'm going to put on the devil's advocate hat again, because you came close to this a moment ago. If God is is so good and powerful, and you even said he's sovereign, and absolutely sovereign, and you believe that, and he's good and he's powerful, then why is there so much evil and suffering in this world? Yeah. Well, I mean, that is the big question, right? That's the big objection. It's called a theodicy, and this idea, you know, that you said God is all-powerful, he's all-good, so why is there evil? The fact that there's evil means that God is either not all-powerful or he's not all-good is the logic seems to dictate, although the uh, the atheists who uh, have historically used that argument have quit using it in large part because they recognize that that very simple statement is fraught with difficulties, because the very question assumes that you believe in something that's absolutely good, absolutely right, and you're making absolute statements which can't be made if you do not believe in an absolute source of that which is good and right and true. And so when somebody asks that question, they're kind of recognizing, or maybe they're not recognizing, but they're kind of unveiling to you that they have a self-refuting life and worldview because they're making absolute statements when they don't believe in absolutes in that, in that sense, or they, at least they can't justify the absolutes. But that being said, that doesn't really answer the question. The fact that people are not being reasonable in the way they ask the question doesn't mean that the Christian faith has no answer for the fact that there is an all-good, all-powerful God, but there certainly is evil in the world. Pastor Bill, let me explain it this way. I think your listeners will understand. <clears throat> I hope they will. I would argue that the most evil event that ever happened was when the uh, eternal righteous uh, God, the Son, became man, came to earth, who never sinned, and there was a conspiracy against him, and he was uh, nailed to a cross. I would argue that that is the darkest event in human history. Yet at the same time, 
It is the most glorious event in human history, and we will praise God forever in eternity for that event. So what you have is one event that is at the same time the most evil event, yet the most glorious event of all time. I don't think that that thinking is unique to the cross. We saw the same thing with Joseph and his brothers, where his brothers did awful things to him, and yet at the end of Genesis we realize that the brothers meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so I find it very comforting to know this, and you've gone through a lot of difficulties, Pastor Bill, I have as well, that in eternity we will praise God for every moment of history that he ordained, even our darkest hour. And so there is a sense where we need to recognize that God has ordained not only the things that are good, he has ordained the things that are dark, all for his own glorious reasons, reasons that our eyes will be more open to in eternity, and we will praise him for the darkest moment we've ever experienced as people. Well then, but don't you have a very cruel God that that he would ordain this kind of suffering in the world? Well, from this perspective, from a perspective that is that is very finite, and I were to look at it and go, I don't like this, uh, then it seems cruel. But, you know, when my children were little and I didn't let them eat candy, they viewed me as cruel. Uh, if I had to discipline them, they viewed me as cruel, but now as, as they have grown up, they've come to recognize those things that as an infant or as a toddler that they thought were cruel on my part were actually for their best interests. And so we have the same thing. We look at life, we go, this seems harsh, it seems difficult, it seems cruel, and yet when our eyes are truly opened, we'll recognize that God did these things. He ordained these things to yield in us, as the author of Hebrews says, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And so from a certain perspective, what they did to Jesus certainly was cruel, and they meant it in a cruel way, but God meant it in a glorious way. Now, that is consistent within the internal consistency of a Christian life and worldview. I would argue that an atheist or somebody who rejects a Christian life and worldview can't explain evil, they can't explain good, they can't justify it, that we're just... um, you know, we're just uh, an organic mass racing toward a painful oblivion that we can't explain at all. This explains it. Now, people may not like that explanation. They may go, well, it's not worth it. But I'm, I'm firmly convinced that when we get to heaven and our eyes are opened, that we will praise God for our darkest hour. Yeah. And, and I think I'll take off my devil's advocate hat for just a moment here. Uh, I, I think also it's important to emphasize to people, and this is, of course, the mystery, we, we really the mystery we can't explain, is that when our first parents were made, they did have the freedom to choose uh, for good or for evil, and they were the ones who, in the full expression of of their responsibility, chose that act that brings this world into 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 such such a dismal state. So I'll I'll often say, as a pastor, God paints uh, the 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 picture of human history against the dark canvas of man's fall. Now that is, you know. And I know that doesn't answer all the questions either, uh, but it, but at least it, it it gives some kind of an account of, of why there's sin in the world. Well, well Pastor Paul, we're dealing with, with pastoral apologetics, and as I expected, the minutes have gone by very quickly. I, I could tell the listeners are going to wonder about just practical pointers that you could give to them 
to defend the Christian faith or to do apologetics? Could you give us that in a few minutes? Yeah, I mean, briefly briefly put, number one is to have the courage uh, to engage at some level. Now, Pastor Bill, you and I, it's kind of in a way easier for us to engage because the moment somebody says, what do you do, that now, you, now you're in the context of a spiritual discussion because you're a pastor and I'm a pastor. So oftentimes, for lay people, it's not as easy because that's not really your full-time vocation. At the same time, I think we should try to develop relationships with people that foster that, where, you, you know, when your neighbor's having a rough day, that you ask your neighbor if you can pray for them, or to engage at a level that they don't even get engaged with with, uh, with anybody else. People generally don't care about the spiritual well-being of other people. So, so to be that person, to engage in a spiritual level, to be willing to answer questions that they have, and yet at the same time, don't um, don't make things up. You know, you, you want to give answers that you know if you don't have the answer. That tell them it's a good question. Tell them you'll try to find the answer and then come back and continue at another time. But I, I'd say one of the most important things, Pastor Bill, is that that you're engaging with people in a spirit of, of love. Conversations can take an ugly turn, and you've got to be aware of the fact that at a certain point, you started off, you know, strong and loving and caring and tender, but then they became a little maybe hostile, and now you're tempted to be hostile. And uh, you can't allow that to happen. I think that's a violation of the Third Commandment. I think at that point you're taking the name of God in vain. You're using God in an em- His name in an empty way, and you're saying things that are not um, honoring because of the way you're saying them. And we've all fallen into that trap. Just be aware of what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants you to be impatient and short and curt and snarky. Don't be that way. Be loving, always. And as far as unearthing people's faith commitments, which I know you do, any practical pointers on that, Pastor Paul? Well, you know, I was a journalism major my first couple of years in college, and my uh, one of the things I my instructor taught that I thought was really valuable, is that everybody has a story. And there was the who, what, when, where, why, and how. And so what you really want to do is be a good listener. You want to be interested. And so ask questions about them. Ask them not only what they believe, but why they believe it. And and then really listen. I mean, really understand what they're saying and then from there you engage. Now, be careful that you're not asking questions, just waiting to say what you want to say. Really take the time to really understand. People love it when somebody really makes an effort to understand them. So understand what they're saying, yet at the same time, begin to gently and lovingly ask the question, why is that the case? Why? I mean, when I was a little boy, my dad, who was not at the time a Christian, I asked him, Dad, why is grass green? And he said, well, because of chlorophyll. And I said, well, why does chlorophyll make it green? And I think I reached the extent of his scientific expertise. And he said, because God made it that way. And as much as he wasn't a theologian, that was the right answer. I mean, he realized that ultimately, if you keep asking questions, that's where you have to go. And that's the way science is. Science thinks because they they know the penultimate answer, that somehow they know the ultimate answer. But they never know the ultimate answer, and the ultimate answer is always, because God made it that way. 
And so that's a goal to get to, but get to it in a gentle, loving way and, and be a good listener when people talk. Yeah, that's that's excellent. I would, I would only add to that. Remember that the goal in doing apologetics, defending the faith, is not to win an argument. The goal is to win the person that you're speaking with to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, Amen. that only comes by grace, but that that is always the goal. Hey, Pastor Paul Vigiano, thank you so much for letting us uh, let East and West meet today, uh, New York and California, on today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Pastor Paul Vigiano has been my guest, pastor of Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Torrance, California. Visit them out there if you're in the area of beautiful Torrance, California. We would appreciate your feedback or your questions on the program. Love to hear from you. My email address is visitpastorbill at gmail.com, visitpastorbill at gmail.com. And I would add that if you have questions for Pastor Vigiano, I can very easily pass those on to him. If they're easy ones and I can answer, <laughs> I'll answer them myself. Uh, but again, visitpastorbill at gmail.com. And if you would be interested in, in Pastor Vigiano's debates, I just got to uh, Google in Paul, P-A-U-L, like the Apostle Vigiano, V as in Victor, I, and then a double G, I-A-N as in no, Vigiano, good Italian name, and uh, you'll get uh, information on him and on the debates that he has had. I want to remind you that tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and I should before that mention to you that next week on a visit to the pastor's study, since you so enjoy the texted questions and the call-in questions, we're going to have a whole program next next Saturday on the visit to the pastor's study called an open forum where you can call in or text your questions. It'll be a lot of fun. We can perhaps even build on some things from today. Anyway, tomorrow is the Lord's Day. Be sure to set apart time to worship the Lord in a church that is faithful to the Word of God and a church that puts Jesus Christ and his person and his work front and center in all that's done. And remember, too, that everyone needs a pastor. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you will open the hearts of men and women and boys and girls so that as they hear us defend the faith, as they hear the word of God preached and taught, and as they read it, they'll be brought to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Amen. You've been listening to A Visit to the Pastor's Study, a ministry of Reformation Metro New York. Our website is www.reformationmetrony.org. Again, that's www.reformationmetrony.org. For more information on the program, check out our website at www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. That's www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. Listen in next week at 12 noon for another edition of... A visit to the pastor's study. Remember, everyone needs a pastor.